that expression, hope springs eternal. We've used it a lot, haven't we? I mean, we've used it to ourselves, we've used it with our friends, often to reassure ourselves uh, when we're anxious or downtrodden or fearful, and we need to hope that something will happen even though it seems unlikely. But today's passage gives that saying quite a different meaning because as Christians, our hope really does spring eternal because we have a living hope. This is the big message, a living hope which comes from the knowledge that Christ is risen and he is alive today. And we can be confident in his saving grace and an eternal life is waiting with him in heaven. That's what Peter wants us to know. Wow, isn't that an infinitely better hope than wishing for something that may or may not come true? So think of the tough times in your life when it's been essential to have hope in something. Maybe it's been a difficult hospital operation that you're facing, or maybe you're worried about your job. But at such times, just think how great a comfort it is when somebody in authority comes to you and says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to make a full recovery. You will have a full cure, or your job will be protected. Just hearing that authority is just so important. Well, that's exactly what Peter's doing in this passage because he's giving encouragement to the embattled, <laughs> embattled, scattered Christians of Asia Minor in what's now modern-day Turkey who are facing difficulty and suffering. And he's, he's telling them, stand firm in your faith, whatever happens. He's expressing a gospel of hope. These new Christians... And they were very new Christians. Possibly they were even converted at the Pentecost. They were committed to a different set of values and way of life. They were living with the Romans. But those people, an entirely alien culture to them, were often hostile or unfriendly. And perhaps that's not entirely dissimilar to our situation today. Even here in Hazelmere, living as Christians in an increasingly unknowing, secular society. Now, Peter was actually in Rome when he wrote this letter, um, and it was a time of growing persecution of Christians. Nero, that horrible, nasty guy who played his fiddle as Rome burned, um, he was starting to do some pretty horrible things, and actually, Peter would die himself because of Nero's persecution. So, Peter could see this coming, and perhaps he was warning the Christians in Asia Minor, watch out, because you might expect further persecution yourself. And we know that the church is persecuted to this day in many parts of the world. That hasn't gone away. But Peter begins this letter by clearly stating his authority. Those opening words that Andy read to us, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now let's just think about that for a minute. Think about everything that Peter saw and all the things he did with Jesus. Because he walked with Christ, he shared his ministry, he experienced the great sorrow and confusion of the 
of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, but he also was in that locked room, and he experienced the rapturous joy of seeing the risen Lord. And that, that time of being breathed on by Jesus, I love that, breathed on by Jesus, um, the first time the disciples saw him. Um, and then, of course, he was the one who led that wonderful um, uh, testimony at Pentecost. So I think we can call Peter a pretty reliable eyewitness, don't you? I mean, he saw it all. And I think, therefore, we can really take strength and conviction in, in the belief in his testimony and the divinely inspired instructions he's giving to us. I mean, there's real wisdom in his teaching. And it's wisdom that he wants to share to us as the chosen people of God, just as those who originally listened to him all those centuries ago. So he has three big messages for us. First, we can be absolutely confident in a living hope that will sustain us in difficult times. Second, our certainty comes from a firm belief in the resurrection. It happened. It's not a joke. It happened. And we can be also certain of a love of a living God. And third, we are called to serve the Lord and live differently wherever he might lead us. Big challenges. Thanks, Peter. So, first of all, we can be confident in a living hope. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that we can be sure of a, living, a risen life of Christ in heaven. A risen life of Christ in heaven. Think about that. Amazing. We can take comfort from this promise during our most difficult times. And Peter calls that an inheritance. Now, in, in Jewish times... They thought about inheritance in a slightly different way to us. I mean, we think possessions and money that we might receive after the death of a loved one. Well, the Jewish thought about inheritance as the promised land. And that promised land was Israel. But Peter is telling us as Christians, our promised land is heaven. And we can be confident that God has saved a place for us there. He has prepared that. He will protect that for us. And we can also be confident in receiving God's salvation, being rescued from sin and death through the death of Christ, through his suffering, his resurrection. And um, again, from that wonderful reading, it's our ultimate gift. It's the goal. It's, it's the end result of our faith. Peter was a funny guy, wasn't he? <laughs> he was often fractious and then, you know, impulsive and probably had a short temper, um, but that's why we love him. He was so human. But he was also very much a man of his time. And like many of the other first disciples, um, he thought that Christ was going to return any day. You know, it was going to happen. The second company coming was, was going to happen any day. Now, we know that the in-between times have lasted a lot longer than Peter expected. But even Peter acknowledged that even the angels don't know God's precise timetable. Peter didn't, we don't. We don't know when the second coming is going to be. But we do know that our salvation comes when we accept Christ into our lives. We don't have to wait until the last days. That happens as soon as we accept Christ. But is this all pie in the sky when we die? 
And how can we be sure that this living hope is genuine rather than false? Because if we are to have hope in something, it has to have a basis in reality, doesn't it? We have to be absolutely sure about it. So what's our reality? What Peter is saying, I think, is that we need to believe absolutely for ourselves that Jesus' death and resurrection really did happen and that that was God's promised plan foretold by the Old Testament prophets. And we also have to be sure of the reality of our own faith, which comes from personal experience. Don't you just love the way Peter describes being filled with the Holy Spirit? He talks about being filled with that inexpressible and glorious joy. And we know that, don't we? we? We've experienced that. We know what he's talking about. And when you've got that experience, that relationship with Christ, that love of Christ, the stronger our conviction will be that God will keep his promise to raise us from the dead, just as he did Jesus. So we're not deluded, folks. <laughs> we believe it. We know it. So back to that second point. Our certainty comes from a firm belief in the resurrection and our love of a living God. Okay, I love playing devil's advocate, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Um, have you ever thought about what would happen if the resurrection never happened? That's kind of weird, isn't it? But just think of that for a minute. Um, just think back to the Easter story that we've been hearing about over the last few weeks. Take away the resurrection. Okay, what are you left with? Well, the tomb would have stayed sealed. Mary Magdalene would have continued to weep. There would have been no incident with what she thought was the gardener coming to her and, and speaking to her by name. So she recognized that Jesus was risen. Jesus wouldn't have appeared to the disciples in the locked room. And if you were a disciple and Jesus hadn't risen, how would you have felt? you would have been absolutely crushed and dismayed and probably angry, wouldn't you? You would have thought, I've been duped. You know, I've been following a false messiah. Well, can you just imagine how horrible that would have been? But it didn't happen. That didn't happen. And even Paul thinks about this. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm paraphrasing a bit here, he says... If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. It's futile. We're stuck in sin. We, of all people, should be pitied. So, so Paul kind of gets this as well. The resurrection is fundamental, fundamental to our understanding of God's promise for us, for our firmness of belief in a risen Lord. It's the heart, at the very heart of Christian history. Because how else can we explain the number of eyewitnesses and accounts and Thomas's, good doubting Thomas's great declaration of faith when he said, my Lord and my God, after having seen the risen Lord and touched his wounds. Or the disciples' willingness to be sent on a worldwide mission, whatever the personal cost, and so many of them died. Um, and they, they didn't care. They were so committed to spread the gospel, win new disciples. And that utter commitment, that joyful commitment, has continued down the centuries to this day. And where does it stem from? 
stems from that resurrection, that belief in the risen Lord. Now, Peter saw Christ risen, not once, but three times. So his belief in the resurrection was 100%, absolute 100%. And so it's therefore not surprising he places such a great emphasis on the resurrection as the saving event that guarantees our future. But he also stresses that we have to believe in the resurrection too. It's not just enough to be told about it. We have to believe in it ourselves. And he also says we can still love and believe in the risen Christ, even though we haven't seen him face to face, not yet, but we have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit to know that we have a living God. Now, thanks to Andy Rigby, I love this um, Encounter with God series, and I don't know about you and um, your use of Bible notes, but isn't it great when what you're reading is absolutely perfect for you at a particular time? You just go, wow, thanks, Lord. Okay, well, here's, here's something um, I read this week. And it says, Jesus comes to every one of us individually and personally, as Christians, we don't believe in the resurrection merely as a theological concept. We believe because we have had an encounter with the risen Lord who has spoken to us by name. Now, Danny was talking about that last on Easter Sunday, wasn't he? We have been called by name. He's taken away our tears and our fear. He's filled us with joy and energy. He has commissioned us all with tasks to which we are uniquely suited. I think Peter would have liked that message too. Because I think that's what he's trying to tell us here. And on to the third point, which is being called to serve the Lord, standing firm in our faith and living differently wherever he may lead us. Now Peter really did appreciate that it's not always easy being a Christian. And it can sometimes make us really uncomfortable when we stand apart from our surrounding culture. And sometimes that may mean we experience scorn or incomprehension. And if we live in many parts of the world, we might experience downright danger or persecution. But we must keep the faith whatever happens. Now, there was a, a theologian who um, maybe some of you know called William Barclay, and, and um, he wrote a few decades ago, but I think his words are still really powerful. He said, in this world, trial and affliction are not meant to take the strength out of us, but to put the strength into us. And that is a really great way of thinking about the sacrificial nature of faith and what we need to be prepared to do. So what does the resurrection mean for us and the way we live in the world today? Well, far from telling us to withdraw from the world and put up a wall, Donald Trump style, Peter encourages us to be obedient co-workers. And he warns us that this may be costly and involve suffering, which proves the genuineness of our faith. But is that such a bad thing? To share in the suffering of Christ and share in his glory? How's this for a challenge? Should we be willing to suffer more? Have you ever noticed that in times of suffering, we often feel the closest to God and experience a sense of his joy and strength? 
Some of you may know about um, Jim Wallace, who writes this, um, uh, well, it's a, a website called Sojourners. Anyway, very interesting guy. And he makes the point in his latest Easter reflection, um, and says very eloquently, that it's a great mystery, this relationship between suffering and joy, weakness and strength. It's kind of black and white, yin and yang. Um, but to those who've known it, it has been the deepest of all human experiences. And Wallace goes on to challenge our fear of suffering. We try to avoid it, don't, don't we? And we are unwilling to take a risk for our faith. But he's saying, that's, you know, that's not good because it means you don't have the possibility of experiencing real joy. You have to be prepared to get out of your comfort zone. And for those who do, rejecting wealth and power for the sake of the gospel, that kind of sounds like what the Archbishop of Canterbury has been telling us in that Lent series we've been following on dethroning mammon, same kind of thing. Um, so they're the ones who change the world for the better. Well, we want to be the ones to change the world for the better too. A couple of weeks ago, I had the incredible privilege of going to Iona, uh, which is uh, one of the birthplaces of Christianity in this country. Um, and I lived in community with the Christians there at the Abbey. And the most amazing people work there and gather there. And a lot of people who are really engaged in peace and justice and environmental issues, they go there to recommit their lives to Christ. And incredible people I met there. And two women in particular... Um, just kind of are great examples of sacrificial risk-taking faith. There's this one woman named Amy who's about to start um, work at the L'Arche community with disabled adults. Um, so she's going to be living in community, helping profoundly disabled um, adults um, and developing them and celebrating them and just being enriched by being um, in that community. And another woman named Naomi, uh, an ex-alcoholic, has had a terrible life. She's been on the streets uh, herself. She is about to start working with St. Mungo's homeless charity. Um, so both just amazing women. Um, but the, they both said the same thing, um, which I think says a lot about our world today, because they both said that their friends are really worried about them. You know, how can you do these things? Why do you want to do this stuff? Um, why do you want to be so downwardly mobile? You know? um, because they, they just don't see that, well, actually, as Christians, we're responding to a different call. We're responding to God's resurrection call. That's what they're doing. That's what we should be doing. So... How prepared are we to step out in faith away from the crowd, leaving aside our formal way of life in obedience to God? Have we heard God's resurrection call? And how can we choose to best serve the Lord? A final prayer. Dear Lord, help us to steer the difficult path of not living in a worldly manner while still trying to bear loving witness in your world. Help us to become the holy, sanctified people that you have chosen us to be, obedient in service to you, using the gifts that you have given us. 
Help us to keep our hope rooted in you, which we know springs from your unfailing love and resurrection promise of eternal life. In you, we do have a hope that springs eternal. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. So I'm going to leave us a few moments to to think about what we've heard there. But um, while you're thinking, I wonder if you would like to, and if you're able, if you would please stand. So we stand in God's presence and we ask God that you would speak to us through what we've just heard. And as I was listening this time, I was, I was very struck by the idea of suffering. And um, we seem to think of suffering as, as in a certain way, but we do see suffering all around us. So as our, our intercessions now, I would like us to stand with the suffering people of the world. So first, we stand, God, with your suffering church And if anybody would like to pray out loud for the church around the world, please do so.